The Ectoplasm Show is brought to you by North KC's Big Rip Brewing Company. Lighten up dark matter, have a craft beer. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Ectoplasm Show. My name is Josh Hurd, and we're doing things a little bit different um, this week. So what we are doing is another throwback episode, one of my faves. Um, so we got a lot of stuff and things that are kind of in the works right now, like life is just kind of crazy. So uh, I know Dr. Feelgood is doing all sorts of fun stuff tonight. I know I've got uh, some irons in the fire and all of that. So I went back into the uh, Ecto archives and I picked out one of my favorite episodes. So I want you guys, um, I mean, we all know the story of The Conjuring, right? We've all seen like the, the movie, The Conjuring, uh, and the Perrin family and all of that fun stuff, Ed and Lorraine Warren. So this was... Our interview with Andrea Perrin, one of the nicest people I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. Um, Sweet, sweet lady. So I hope you guys enjoy this. It's a little bit longer of an episode than normal, actually quite a bit longer, but well worth it. Um, Well worth the listen. Amazing, amazing stuff. So I hope you guys enjoy. We will talk to you all soon. Peace out. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Ectoplasm Show. Uh, I believe this is episode seventy-nine for us, which is kind of kind of a big deal. Never expected to be doing it this long, but uh, glad that we are, and especially glad to uh, have our guest that we have tonight, uh, Miss Andrea Perrin, uh, author, lecturer, and overall amazing person. Um, I had the pleasure of meeting Andrea just a couple years ago uh, in Gettysburg and got to talking and had quite the conversation about, uh, about her experiences. Now we all know that, uh, you know, the, the movie, the conjuring was, uh, was based on, on her family's story. And, you know, Andrea has since gone on to, to write a uh, pretty amazing trilogy uh, called house of darkness, house of light, which we are definitely going to be getting into this evening. So without further ado, Andrea, welcome to the Ectoplasm Show. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. It's my pleasure to join you. I love it. I absolutely love it. <laughs> um now, just so we're uh just so we're clear here, I wanna I wanna really get into, you know, not so much not so much the the conjuring movie itself. Um I, I think, you know, in, in broad strokes and all that stuff, I think it, it did a, an okay job of telling your story. However, I, I think there's so much more um, that that needs told, you know. Um, and, I mean, we're talking about a, a location that has seen its fair share of happenings anyway. Um, I mean, everything from, I mean, multiple suicides, um, rape, hangings. Uh, poisonings even, uh, unsolved murders. I mean, there is a long, long history just with that property alone. 
Um, and could you please like just go into a little bit of of how how you guys acquired the house? Well, uh, I really do believe, looking back now, all these decades, Josh, mm-hmm. uh, we acquired the house because we were supposed to. That for some reason there was some familial connection and it wasn't ancestral there was no tie between the families that lived in that house and our family so it wasn't like a reincarnation draw it was something else entirely but uh, my mother found the house in june of 1970 Um, my parents bought it in the, the beginning of december of 1970 and we moved in on January 11th 1971 and stayed there until June of 1980 so for all intents and purposes the house was in our possession and we were possessed by that house for 10 years wow it's pretty impressive it was so uh so much a draw that from the first time that each one of us went to that property the first time that we went together as a family which was i believe three days after my mother found it um none of us wanted to go back to where we lived uh none of us all of us felt like we were being tugged away from what was home to us Uh, we all felt a sense of belonging there that was inexplicable even my youngest sister april uh, we all fell in love with Mr. Kenyon, the owner of the property. Um, it was uh, it was a match made in heaven and uh, and hell simultaneously. Absolutely. Uh, he, uh, Mr. Kenyon, I believe, knew that the house was haunted, that there were odd and unusual things that happened in it. Um, but he never spoke openly with my parents about it. I wanted and to ask you about And my mother questioned him. him about it. He right. just said it swallows in the chimney, my dear. Yeah. And that, see, that was one part of your book that, that really caught me. Was mm-hmm. It was as if this sweet old man knew exactly what was going on with the property itself. Um but he, he said it in such a sly way. Like you wrote the book so well <laughs> that Thank it's you. it's almost like you're you're right there living these moments with you and your family. Um, but you can just see. I mean, you could see his face like when you read this. No lie, um, mm-hmm. the way he's saying this. Now, there was also a moment I know after the house had been purchased, um, Mr. Kenyon. Uh, he kind of pulled your father aside. Yes, uh, on the day that we moved in, it was a swirling ice storm. It was really a mesmerizing landscape uh, and a dangerous one. And we had to crawl from our house in Cumberland to the farm. Uh, it just seemed it was only, I think, 24 miles, but uh, it it took forever. Yeah. <laughs> No, it had to have been more than that, maybe 34. But, you know, regardless, it wasn't that far. You know, Rhode Island's the size of a postage stamp. <laughs> it, it doesn't take long to get anywhere in that right, state. Right. Um, so um, after we had, um, I mean, we saw our first full body apparitions. I didn't know it was a ghost. In fact, I don't even think I wrote about it very much in the books. I focused more on my sister's reactions, as I recall. Right. Um, but um, 
it was, you know, my father handed me a box. He said, take this to your mother in the kitchen. I walked past a very oddly dressed man who looked absolutely solid to me, who looked like just any other person, except that I remember wondering, is this how people dress out here? <laughs> no, <laughs> I mean, I remember thinking that really, because I've never seen anybody dress like that before. Oh um, and, but he didn't respond to me when I said, good morning. I went into the kitchen and I asked my mother, who was the man with Mr. Kenyon? And she said, there's nobody with Mr. Kenyon. His son's on the way. He's not here yet. Oh, my goodness. And um, and then one after another after another, my sisters entered the kitchen asking the question. Um, oh, hold on. No problem. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, you're fine. I never expected the phone to ring at this hour of the night. <laughs> hold on just a no minute. No problem. Uh, okay. So anyway, uh, yeah, then... Um, then Christine walked in and asked virtually the same question. Um, and my mother had the same answer and it was chaos and there were boxes everywhere and things were being unpacked. April was in the kitchen with mom. So she hadn't walked through the dining room as the rest of us did. And um, interestingly, Cindy walked in and she asked the question and Nancy walked in right behind her and she said, um, there was a man with Mr. Kenyon, but he just disappeared. Oh my gosh! And and it, you know everybody kind of got a, a little bit of a shiver, and and you know that's odd. <laughs> yeah. And then we just kept on going, and you know, sure enough, when we walked back through the dining room, there was Mr. Kenyon alone, packing the last of his objects um, from the china cabinet that's built into the corner hutch. It's a corner hutch built in to the dining room. It's actually quite lovely. Wow. Um, and you know he. Uh, we had to help him move. He really didn't want to leave. We didn't want him to leave. Uh, but more than once it was asked in our family if Mr. Kenyon could just live with us. Absolutely. You know, if we gave him, you know, did something, there, were, there was enough room in the house that he could have lived with us. And, um, and I'm sure that my father suggested that to him, but his son had built a new home for him on his own property in Harrisville. And, um, we were going to help him move the last of his belongings in our moving truck once it was empty. And just before that happened, he took my father for a walk out in the elements. And I remember seeing them from the kitchen window and they were just standing on the hill overlooking the property. And um, Mr. Kenyon, according to my dad, uh, reached over and just took his forearm and said, Roger, for the sake of your family, leave the lights on at night. That's and that's amazing. all he said. It's just amazing. nothing else. Yeah, and that's kind of odd in itself. I mean, just to say that, you know, for the sake of your family, leave the lights on at night. Um you know, and now obviously I've never been to the house. I've never visited the house or anything like that. So I don't necessarily know the layout of the house. But I mean, would that have helped you much? Like even just leaving the lights on uh, just for navigation purposes? That's what my father assumed that he meant. Okay. And it, and it wasn't until uh, it wasn't until months later that he realized what Mr. Kenyon was saying to him. Sure. Um, and it, uh, you know, that it had some uh, more cryptic meaning. Uh, but, I, you know, I don't think that he was deliberately trying to keep anything away, you know, keep 
keep us from knowing anything. I think that this was the only way that he knew how to communicate about it. Right. Uh, and uh, didn't want to scare our family away. I mean, and it, it did. Uh, I don't know if it was having so many kids in one place that activated so much energy in that house. You know, I'm I'm 57 years old and I don't know any more than I did when I was 12. Sure. When I saw my first full body apparition, it it was um, a really more a stunning realization. It was a revelation. It was there is something beyond our mortal existence. Uh, that's how I perceived it. Um, and it opened my mind so quickly, so rapidly um, that I think I'm still adjusting to the change. It was like being Dorothy and walking from a black and white world into a three-dimensional realm. Um, really an amazing um, experience, my first experience, um, but not frightening in the least, not in the least. I mean, I really did think he was just one of us. Sure. And you know what? I'm right about that. I, I do believe. I would honestly I, agree with you on that as well. We're all the same. We're just in different realms. We're exactly. in uh, different dimensions. And sometimes they cross. And sometimes there are shards of, of images and lights and tears in uh, the dimensional walls that keep us separated and that's when we can see each other uh, that's what we experienced at the farm we could see each other not all the time sure. but sometimes and if it can happen once then it can happen again um, and that's what you know to me I was talking with Chip Reichenthal last night on my show uh, our show a world awakening right and um, we were talking about just this subject and the existence of time, the relevance or subsequent irrelevance of it, whether or not it exists. Uh, you know, I mean, getting really deep into some of these issues because to me, it's the only thing important to talk about. If ghosts exist, and I know that they do, then there's a whole uh, paradigm shift. There's a, a communication dynamic that exists between the spirit world, the nether world, as some people say, sure. and what we perceive to be our 3D reality. And so that must be explored. And I already have my evidence. Yeah, <laughs> so absolutely. I feel very privileged, you know? And I love talking about things like that. Um, and it just, it, there comes a certain point, I think, where it's just like your head feels like it's about to explode sometimes yeah. because it's so... It's such a weird subject to try to wrap your mind around because it's literally trying to throw out everything that we already have been taught or everything that we perceive is not necessarily what's going on. And it's a very tricky subject to get into. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, now, it is. Um, there was a few uh, a few things that, that you uh, mentioned earlier. Um, you know, when I was asking about the house and how it, you said that basically, basically you felt like, uh, you were, you were supposed to do this. Like this was, you know, supposed to be your path, you know, for your family, almost as if you were chosen. Now I, I saw something in the book that I read and please correct me if I'm wrong before you guys, before you guys moved to the house, um, you had a dog. 
And the the name of that dog was actually named by your mother, correct? Yes. And the name of the dog was Bathsheba. Yes. I mean, what an interesting parallel mm-hmm. right there. It's why I had to include it in the book. And Absolutely. part of the reason why I had to begin um, prior to moving to the farm, I had to share with my reader, not just introduce um, my reader to every member of my family and my I, my peripheral family, yeah. um, you know, friends, Kathy and Sam. Um, uh, I also needed to let people see that there were a thousand different puzzle pieces yeah. that literally had to fall from the sky and yeah. fall precisely into place for our family to have that farm. And they all did. Just amazing. Um, against all odds. And so I introduce uh, the story in Cumberland, Rhode Island, and talk about the grand conspiracy theory in the universe that created this um, series of events that catapulted our family to that farmhouse. Um, My mother said the night that she opened the newspaper, it is as if the advertisement leapt off the page and into her eyes Right. Uh, that it was the only thing on the page that she was drawn to she called the number immediately uh, made an appointment to see the property at 9.30 the next morning um, and uh, and so it began you know I absolutely but, loved that that little process because your father had gone out of town on business yeah <laughs> and so I mean unbeknownst to your father she is she's house hunting you know, and I was just like, oh, my gosh, he might flip, you know, but he, he kind of took it. Well, he did. <laughs> but, but I was like, this is amazing, like how this would happen, you know, how this all came to fruition was just amazing to me. Um, And like, you know, like I said, yeah, is, is the story scary? Of course it is. There are times where <laughs> I had trouble. You know, reading it, I was like, oh, my God. And I mean, this is what I do. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm all the time I'm out uh, hunting for for things, uh, you know, and investigating the the paranormal. Um, Then there were times where I was like, oh, my God, like, I can't I can't read anymore right now. You know what I mean? It was terrifying. There are other parts of the book that are absolutely beautiful. Um, Just I mean, the way you and your family interact with one another was an amazing thing to read about. And like I said before, it, it was written in a way where you would swear to God you were standing right beside you all. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, now, I know um, we're, we're waiting on Jason, but I wanted, to, I wanted to preface this before we bring Jason on. He said he, he just texted me. He's like, I am almost home, I swear to God. <laughs> he says that. Uh, <laughs> now, one thing about Jason is... Um, Jason goes about the paranormal in a completely different way than most of us. Um, if you mention uh, a paranormal celebrity, if you mention uh, this person or that person or the show or whatever, he, he most likely is not going to know about it. He does his own research. He, you know, he reads these things that interest him and he comes up with his own, his own ideas. Um, yeah. He doesn't really study other people's studies necessarily, you know? So, of course he's heard of the movie. He's never seen the movie The Conjuring. And of course he's heard of you and he has uh, yet to read your books. Um, 
because I basically told him not to yet because I think it would make it a richer conversation to have somebody who doesn't necessarily know all of the uh, all of the things going mm-hmm. on. So it should be it should be an interesting conversation to say the oh, least. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> We could, you know, we could do this all night. I, I mean, know. We could talk for hours and hours and hours about this and, and still only scratch the surface of it. Exactly. I frequently come back and do secondary interviews uh, or multiple interviews with the same uh, uh, shows because there's so much ground to cover <laughs> that uh, my host will just simply go back, listen to the first show, and then move on from there, you know? <laughs> It's, Pick up it's right great. Where I love off. it because that way I develop relationships with, you know, real friendships with the people that I do this with. Absolutely. And, you know, if I'm going to open a vein in cyberspace where the blood can just go anywhere, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. got to be with somebody I trust who's going <laughs> to <laughs> exactly. take care of me if I get wounded, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, my gosh. Now, I, I do have like a ton of, of questions here. Um, and obviously I wanted to save the majority of those for when Jason joins us, but there was one in particular, um, that I was reading about, um, about an interesting occurrence that happened while, while you guys were in the house. Um, it was a noise that your mother was hearing and and the noise was, was a, uh, like a broom sweeping what sounded like sweeping mm-hmm. and and uh, coming into, uh, like, the kitchen, I believe is what it was, um, to find, like, a pile of dirt mm-hmm. that had been swept. Yep. It's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, yeah. That is amazing. It's absolutely yeah. amazing. You know, all the little uh, gaps between uh, wooden floorboards. Yes. Uh, it, all of it had been completely cleaned out. Uh, I mean, we all heard her from time to time. Um, but yeah, there were several different occasions, uh, where one of us would walk into the kitchen, the broom would be tucked up against the black stove, which mom always insisted it it could not go there because, you know, (laughs) should one spark fall, you know, I mean, she was always so afraid of fire and, um, and so we'd all get yelled at for putting the broom next to the stove when none of us had done it. Um, and there would be a little pile of uh, dirt in the floor because, of course, it was a farm. We all had boots. Sure. And so we were, you know, dr- dragging stuff into the house all the time. Hay and, you know, whatever came in on the bottom of our shoes. And, uh, yeah, she she took exception to that. She wanted the kitchen kept a certain way. And we were a bunch of heathens. Yeah. Tomboys. I mean, we just come from hanging around in the barn, you know, playing in the hayloft and climbing trees and, you know, playing in the mud down in the shoals of the river. It it was, uh, yeah, we were tomboys. It is absolutely amazing, though, to me. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Jason, my friend, are you there with us? I am. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, just uh, pull down your uh, pull down your gain a little bit and we should be good to go. How's that? Any better? It's oh, hi, Jason. Super sexy. Hello. <laughs> sorry I'm late. No, no he's problem. not. He's not sorry. No. <laughs> it's not my no. fault, actually. It's uh, the host on the radio show I'm on. Those prima donnas, man. That's what they are. <laughs> <laughs> well, he had to run his own board, so it got uh, me that. So, um, 
Jason, just to uh, catch you up, we've been, you know, having a, a lovely conversation so far. Um, but I wanted to, uh, I wanted to get into uh, another experience here um, with Andrea about um, about your sister Cindy and and how she would um, from time to time she would come into your room and she would you know crawl into bed with you and just ask you know can I can I sleep with you um, because she was hearing things and and experiencing things. Um, because I, I don't recall exactly how old she was at the time, but I, I know it wasn't old. It was like, what, seven or eight? She was eight, yeah. Okay. Just insane. Now, could you get into that a little bit? Like, what exactly was she experiencing? Um, she, I think it was the second or third night that we were living at the farm. Uh, and we all heard a lot of noises because, of course, the wind was whipping. It was middle of January, and... Uh, uh, there'd been one storm after another had been kind of problematic in terms of moving in. <laughs> uh, but, um, she came crawling into bed with me, uh, asked if she could, uh, spend the night. And I told her, of course. And she said, I hear voices in my room. Wow. And I immediately thought it was Christine because she would sometimes talk in her sleep. Oh. And um, she said, no, it's, she said, I hear there are a lot of voices. They're all talking to me at once. They're all saying the same thing at once. And I asked her what that was, and her response was, there are seven dead soldiers buried in the wall. There are seven dead soldiers buried in the wall. Oh she gosh. said they would say it incessantly over and over again. She would cover her head with a pillow. The more she tried to distract herself and drown it out, uh, the louder it became. And it would scare her um, because she said it was as though the whole house was shaking with the words. Wow. Of course, nobody else heard it. It was just her. Right. And so the only way to stop that was to come into bed with me. Wow. Well, at least she did that. I mean, my goodness. Um, I, I just can't imagine being that age. I mean, that's basically the exact same age as my daughter is now. And, mm -hmm. and experiencing something like that. Um but I'm, I know that, that Cindy had more than just that experience. And I know, like, one of them I was reading uh, specifically about Cindy, and it was absolutely terrifying. It was more of a sinister female uh, apparition that she was seeing. Um, and I don't know if you wanted to get into that a little bit as well. Well, it was the same apparition that had threatened my mother. Um, and, of course, you know, in terms of Warner Brothers um, building a film uh, right. around the case files of Ed and Lorraine Warren, uh, according to Lorraine Warren, Bathsheba copped the blame for everything. So, right, right. Uh, you know, for the longest time, we referred to her as such, thinking that she was the problem in the house um, to the point when, you know, my father, years into this experience, realized uh, after having my mother hypnotized to see if he could extract from her memory what had happened uh, the night of the torches incident. Um, and she came back with an incantation that he knew was uh, from the 1700s uh, in terms of the uh, verbiage. Uh, it was 
definitely archaic in the 1800s. Yeah. So, which is the time that Bathsheba lived from 1812 to 1885. Um, and so all of the information in the conjuring about her is completely wrong. All of it. <laughs> Every right. bit of it. It, <laughs> it was a screenplay conjured up in the minds of two screenwriters. Right. Um, and um, because they put out into the public what they thought was palpable. Now, you know, Josh, having read the books, right. that our odyssey, our excursion, um, our spiritual journey was much longer and much more intense than anything portrayed in the film. I was going to say, um, there was a lot that I noticed uh, reading the books that, um, I don't know, it... it it definitely wasn't portrayed in the film. Now, of course, I chalk that up to the fact that, okay, how do you put in, you know, over a decade's worth of, of experiences? Yeah, yeah in, in, in an hour and a half, two hour film, it's impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely impossible. Um, but one thing that I did notice is, I mean, there was, I don't know, it seemed as if, like, I know in your books you say that, you know... Um, I mean, your family is uh, very Catholic. Um, well, we were, yeah. No, but yeah, but no, it it never mentioned that once. In fact, it kind of swayed the other way in the film. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it never. So I think the thing my mother took exception to the most, Josh. Uh, you know, she said. I mean, she thought the whole, you know, the whole scene with the exorcism that never happened and all of that that you know right. was portrayed in the basement, none of which ever happened, right. um, was uh, uh, so absurd that she didn't take exception to it. She just considered it laughable. <laughs> um, but um, she did take exception to the fact that we were portrayed in the film as, you know godless heathens you know the sure. pagan parents sure. um when nothing could have been further from the truth my father was born and raised in the roman catholic tradition he was educated in a catholic school mm-hmm. uh he was an altar boy his entire youth uh and was destined for the priesthood when he met my mother wow and uh we were all born and raised catholic we were all baptized and confirmed and it was uh, you know, a normal part of our lives uh, for our earliest memories of going to church on Sunday and you know being practicing Catholic family. My mother converted to Catholicism to marry my father. Exactly. So you know it was represented as quite the opposite. Um, and you know my mother never went seeking help from the Warrens. She didn't know who they were when they showed up at the door. Uh, there were many, many discrepancies in the film, but I prefer to uh, dwell on uh, the what I always call the cosmic kisses in the movie, the yeah. the things that occurred that they couldn't possibly have known about right. and yet portrayed on film, even though not a single scene in the film it comes directly from any of the three books um there there are things that they got really right uh the most striking of which is um the scene where the camera comes bending around the doorway of shanley caswell's bedroom who plays me in the movie uh and there's a picture of a white cat a folk art drawing uh of a white cat propped on the mantelboard in her bedroom and 
there was absolutely no way that anybody that was working on that film knew that I owned that exact picture and I had had it since I was 13 years old. Oh my gosh. He lived at the farm. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've got pictures of it out on the internet. It's really cool. Um, and it hangs in my office now, you know, it's always in my bedroom or my office, no matter where I am. Uh, and was given to me by my mother's friend, Fran Cedarback, um, for my 13th birthday. And she paid 50 cents for it at a flea market in Foster, Rhode Island. Wow. Uh, and it's been with me ever since. There is, I don't know where they got a duplicate of it. I don't know <laughs> in into whose mind um, this notion was penetrated. But uh, there were many aspects of the set design. Uh, Julie, the uh, chief set designer must have been tapped into my mind uh, because I never wrote about these things in the books uh, out of all of the different um, wallpaper designs uh, colonial there's like 25,000 to choose from wow. and they chose the one design that was in our house while we lived there Wow! Uh, you know that's bizarre you know what are the chances of that go buy a lottery ticket yeah, my no god kidding. you that know amazing <sighs> Now, Jason, my friend, uh, feel free to hop in here at any any yeah, point good in time. Luck with that, Jason. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I'm just enjoying it, honestly. I don't know if Josh mentioned to you, Andrea, that I I I know of the case, but I've never really studied it. So I'm learning right along with maybe hopefully some of our listeners. Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. So I'm, I'm enjoying just listening. If I have any questions, I'll pop in and or comments or anything. Now. Well, I- I waited 30 years to tell our story, um, and I didn't know if my family would be on board with me doing it, you know, taking the plunge, and I changed my whole life to uh, to tell our tale of darkness and light, and my mother is the one that entitled the book. Um, she said uh, it was both. That's why there's no comma between the two. Right. They, they are merged as one. They were... Uh, uh, elements of our, you know, of our dualistic uh, existence. You know, there is good and evil in the world. I don't know if it's all throughout the universe, but I know that there is good and evil in our world, intangible um, until they manifest in form through action. Uh, And we're the only species on this planet that is capable of uh, planning and plotting to deliberately hurt uh, another living soul. Um, The rest of the killing and the death of the creatures of this earth come as a matter of survival, uh, and ours is a matter of maliciousness. Uh, There are a lot of things to heal and to make whole uh, about humanity, and I think that a major step in that direction is to understand that how we comport ourselves in this life does indeed matter and that there is something after this life. Um, And perhaps the spirits that we encountered at the farm were stuck here, earthbound, in some way, shape, or form. Um, Or maybe they came of their own accord. But there is something else, and we do go on, and this thing called life matters. And we need to look deeply into our own souls each one of us 
and come to terms with the existence of spirit and shed any sense of fear that we might have about it. Because even at its worst, my mother said it was the most valuable lesson of my life. It was the most fascinating decade of my life. In spite of what she went through in that house, she was the target. There was no question about that. Yeah. Um, she looks back on it now and says, uh, what we learned about life and death and the afterlife in the 10 years that we lived there um, could change the world. It's knowledge that could change the world. And she and my father were both very supportive of me writing the trilogy. Um, several of my sisters were very reticent about it, didn't sure. want their lives to be exposed, and slowly came around. It took me, I lived with Christine almost the entire time that I wrote the book with my sister Christine and my mother right here in the farmhouse that I'm sitting in doing this interview. Wow. I'm up here in Georgia visiting. And, you know, my mother said to me, this is not the kind of story that one should rightfully take to the grave. If anyone's going to experience anything like what we did at that farmhouse, it is incumbent upon them to share it. That's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Um, now, you know, speaking of, uh, I don't know, odd things that I, I, I've kind of run across with the story itself, because I, I really tried to do a, to do my homework and really tried to uh, dig deep, you know, into this. Mm -hmm. um, now, um, Jason knows this or whatever, but I have recently just started uh, to exercise again. Now, I realize that this doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. but <laughs> So I get on my uh, little elliptical machine and I always put in something. You know, I put on a show or I listen to a podcast or whatever. Now, just the other day, I was on the elliptical machine. And I was watching an episode of Ghost Hunters. Now, I have all the seasons on, on DVD. Mm -hmm. Now, what's interesting about this is, and I don't know if this is true or not, but it it seems true. Um, and I don't even remember what season I was watching or whatever, but it's the Sutcliffe House, which... It's season two, episode seven. Oh, yeah. Okay, so you know. Okay. That is the house. That is yes. the farmhouse. Yes. And they came at the invitation of the owner, Norma Sutcliffe. Exactly. And I'm like, Johnny Zaffis is on, guest mm -hmm. stars on that episode. Yeah, he's my good friend. He's I a love great guy. He's a great guy. His, oh, his whole family is. Oh, my God. There are no better people. <laughs> Truly. But I, I find it odd because now lately, and if you do not want to talk about this, please just tell me to stop. Um and I will not take offense because lately, though, this uh, Norma, is that her name? Norma Sutcliffe? Yes. She has been kind of coming out and saying, no, there's there's not any spirit activity here. Um, mm -hmm. There's none of that going on. Yet, if you just look back a few years, they were on an episode of Ghost Hunters. Isn't that? I, I don't know. That that a doesn't congruous. Yes, exactly. I'm like, it doesn't really <laughs> doesn't make sense. <laughs> disingenuous right now i know that she is she has had um some issues uh with more or less like you know teenagers um going out wanting to see the house um and you know people trespassing and things of that nature now yes that would be a gigantic pain in the neck but but why why bring you guys into this this is not your fault you know what i mean so 
Yeah. Well, my books had been out for quite a while when the movie opened. Right. And she never had any intrusions on that property. No disruptions, no buddy banging at her door saying, I know I've read Andrea's books. She bought a number of my books from me to give as gifts to her family and friends. Oh, wow. Uh, and I, you know, provided her with a copy of each volume. Um, as they came out, uh, I had a 28 year long friendship uh, with a woman who I genuinely cared about. Uh, and her husband as well. Uh, and it was fractured, shattered to yes. bits uh, a couple of days after the movie opened and people began intruding on her property. And it, a little of it had begun just prior to the movie opening because, as you might recall, the trailer was really intense for yes. The Conjuring. And a lot of people started doing their research and their homework um, and you know figuring out that this was the same story um, but the film nothing was ever shown about the house in the film uh, and I have a legal document that gives me permission to use any and all images that I have of that property past or present sure uh, you know that they both signed and even amended that I would never put out the street address and I you know and I never have sure so um, it's uh Oh, it's uh, very sad. It's the big dark cloud that hangs over something that I consider to be otherwise very enlightening for humanity. Exactly. Uh, it is the dark side of humanity which has emerged in this situation. Um, she uh, even was so bold as to interrupt and create a uh, disturbance in the force for good going on at the Ocean State Paracon. Uh, this past July and you know we were there uh, to raise money for a worthy cause and she was there to cause a scene and she oh, did uh, and had to be summarily dismissed and escorted from the building uh, a very unfortunate turn of events um, she is challenging me to retract I don't know what um, she's got <laughs> some crazy video out on uh, YouTube that I've never seen because I just don't have time for that kind of nonsense in right. my life uh, you know the information in my books comes from uh, memory it comes from the town historian at the time it comes from the town historian currently it comes from records that were kept the black book of Burrowville yeah. uh, records that were kept in Keech's you know, there's nothing for me to retract. Exactly. <laughs> I, I haven't lied to anybody. Everything, every word of these books is true. You know, there could have been six volumes for all the things that happened in the house, and she knows it. Sure. You know, when I met her um, years and years ago, oh my God, it was uh, in um, in the late 80s, uh, I think 88 or 89. Um, and she walked into my restaurant and recognized my business partner, Gail, uh, from years and years before when apparently they had gone to school together. Oh, and, wow. um, and she said, Gail, is that you? And Gail said, Norma, is that you? <laughs> and I'm standing in the kitchen peeling potatoes. And I was looking out the window. I peered out the window into the front of the restaurant and saw this woman for the first time. And she said, standing right at my cash register, she said, 
I just bought a house on Round Top Road in Harrisville, and it's haunted. Oh, my gosh. I knew exactly what house she was talking about. I dropped everything, came out with the knife in my hand, <laughs> and said, my name is Andrea Perrin. And she says, I know everything about your story. And I said, I don't think you do. Yeah, I don't think so, and, lady. <laughs> and we talked for hours and hours. Wow. And she knew all these years, all these years, the things that had happened in that house and pursued my mother to write a book about uh, my mother's experiences uh, as opposed to her experiences. Really? There's six or eight hours of B-roll from several different investigative teams that she invited to the property uh, that are floating around out there that can be easily uploaded to the internet with her going on and on about the experiences that she's had over the course of time at the farm. Uh, I'm very, very sorry that there are raving lunatics in the world. I'm very sorry that somebody decimated Bathsheba's gravestone because of a movie that was fictional. Exactly. Um, I'm very sorry that there was any imposition on them at the farm, but I didn't do it. And I'm not responsible for the behavior of every living soul that walks this planet. And I'm certainly not responsible for any teenagers because I never did feel the need to breed. I don't have any. (laughs) They're not mine. I didn't do this to her, but she has blamed me for everything. And you know, I'm a big girl and I can handle my own, but she, um, uh, even went so far as to call my mother a liar and my mother's been to hell and back yeah. and under no circumstances is my mother lying about any of what she experienced at that farmhouse wow. from 1970 to 1980 um, and Norman knows it so that's what's so unfair and so sad and to me tragic about this um, you know, but I'll leave it at that. I mean, there's so much more that I could say. I, you know, there's a lawsuit going on with Warner Brothers. There's all kinds oh, wow. of stuff going on behind the scenes. But, I, you know, I try to. I want to tell the truth, and I want people to have their questions answered. And there are no questions off the table. Sure. Um, but I don't want to dwell in the negative because anybody that's done their homework can see that um, her claims – versus our claims that have been well documented for 40 years in different venues um, are um, are juxtaposed and she's the one that did this I didn't and I didn't do anything to hurt her and I immediately made videos to defend her and to uh, demand that people stay away from the property that it's not their fault that our family had our experiences there but once the movie came out It was almost as though she saw the movie and assumed that it had my seal of approval or that it was somehow a reflection of the books, which only (laughs) leads me to believe that she never did actually read the books. Exactly. (laughs) Because all of the stuff that she put in her video about Bathsheba never did this and Bathsheba never did that, you know, if she had read the book, she would understand that, you know, this is what uh, the town historian, Mr. McEachern, told my mother you know and this is what you know this one told my mother and Edna Kent told my mother and you know all of the I mean this was all it was for all intents and purposes a perpetuation of a rumor mill that had existed before the woman died and was still ongoing the lesson being in the end of volume three is that there's no record 
of Bathsheba being a practicing witch, nothing anywhere where she was accused of that, right. that this is the power of gossip, that this is the power of someone being blamed for something that they did not necessarily do. And I do everything in my power in the course of uh, 1,500 pages to, if not absolve her, at least give her the benefit of the doubt. Exactly. Never anywhere in there did I say that she lived inside the house, but that her spirit was somehow probably attached to the house, according to what Mrs. Warren told my mother. And to Mrs. Warren's credit, when she walked in the house for the first time, she went over to the black stove, put her hand on the corner of it, covered her eyes, and said, I sense a malignant presence in this house. Her name is Bathsheba. Wow. Now, you know, like we were talking earlier, too, um, about the Warrens, you said, um, you know, they basically just kind of showed up one day. Um, Well, no, they didn't really. There was a a series of circumstances that led to their arrival. Um, it was the thing that's most inexplicable mm-hmm. is that Keith Johnson oh, showed sure. up with his um, his brother and their uh, paranormal investigative team came pulling into the yard one day wow. and um, my mother thought that they were friends of mine from school she didn't know who they were yeah. and Keith said to my mother you called me um, and she's like uh, no I didn't <laughs> Oh, my gosh. No, I didn't. Um, He's like, no, I recognize your voice. We talked on the phone, remember? She's like, "Um, I never called anybody. (laughs) And Keith, at the time, was 18 or 19 years old. I don't know if we've ever decided exactly, but I was 15. Um, So we weren't that far apart in age. And, um, and, you know, I, I spoke with him. My mom didn't like his brother. There was something about his brother that she, that, um, she felt repelled by so she didn't want him to come in the house but she did talk to Keith and um, he's the one who had the experiences in the house that day and he's the one that went and told um, Ed and Lorraine Warren about what was going on at our house and that happened sometime in August or September wow. of 1973 and the Warrens came the night before Halloween uh, in 1973 really? and so yeah, and subsequently they said that um, it was because they thought that the veil would be thinner at that time and that they stood a better chance of seeing some type of manifestation in the house. Um, and, you know, I talked with Mrs. Warren out in Hollywood a few years ago um, yeah. uh, prior to the opening of the film. And, and I said, you know, you do understand now that you could have come to that house at virtually any time and had an experience that <laughs> yeah. there is no veil, at yeah. least at the farmhouse there's not. And she's like, no, you're absolutely right, Andrea. Wow. She said that was the most active house. She said it was the most compelling, most disturbing, most significant of all the investigations that she and Ed ever conducted. Um, and she meant that. Uh, we talked at length, I mean, for a long time uh, when we were out in Hollywood together because Warner Brothers uh, was very gracious in inviting us to a private screening of the film about three months before it opened. Oh, wow. So we stayed in the same hotel and we had time together and uh, it was um, it was very interesting. It was, uh, you know, to compare notes again after 40 years from when I first met her. That is very, very cool stuff. 
Now, yeah. you know, talking um, talking more about, uh, you know, some of the discrepancies or whatever that we were discussing earlier um, regarding the film, um, you know, in the film, like you were saying earlier, the, the film portrays like a an exorcism going on in the basement. Uh, yeah. you know, there was never an exorcism in the house. Yeah. How, you know, however, there was um, a, a seance that was done. Um, you know, at the house. Uh, can you take us through that process a little bit? Yeah, you know, um, finally, um, that's uh, a scene from volume two, actually, in the chapter called Warren Peace, mm-hmm. a little play on uh, <laughs> the uh, masterpiece. <laughs> uh, and um, Ed and Lorraine Warren uh, rather foisted uh, a seance. Uh, on my parents. My father wanted absolutely nothing to do with it. Uh, This scene has finally been uh, relatively well recreated in uh, the Halloween episode of Paranormal Witness last October. Very nice. Uh, I think they did a a good job with it. It was actually much more intense than how they recreated it. But what actually happened was so bizarre that I don't think it could be recreated. I've never seen anything like it or, you know, before or since in my life. I hope not to. Um, first of all, Ed Warren would never in a million years have conducted uh, an exorcism on his own. Right. Um, he was extremely devout, um, absolutely uh dedicated to the role of an assistant, the only layman in the world uh, that had been trained under the auspices of the Roman Catholic Church and um, the exorcists within it. Um, He was trusted, and he was not trained to do anything except assist. So he would never have taken that leap, and Mrs. Warren confirmed that. Sure, for me sure. um, immediately. In fact, she's the one that said Ed would never have done that. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I if if I can say in the broad strokes, the Conjuring got it right. Um, good conquers evil, love conquers fear, and the Perrin family endured an extreme haunting, uh, which they all survived. Yeah. Um, you know that's correct, uh, but the fine lines of history. Uh, delving into the depth of the experience of living at the farm. You know, a lot of people, uh, I appreciate what you said, Josh, about you know feeling so integrally connected uh, with our family as if you were actually there experiencing it with us yeah, as you absolutely. were reading it. Yeah. Um, I wrote the story deliberately, intimately. I wrote it as though it was a long lamentation or a very uh, um, almost mesmerizing kind of uh, meditation. I wanted people to take their time, not try to rush through to the scary parts. Right. That seemed so counterproductive to me. <laughs> yes. You know, there are a million scary stories out there. Some are fact, some are fiction, some are a mixture of the two. But I wanted the trilogy to be different. I wanted it to... Um, literally take the reader by the hand and guide them through the experience with us 
share it with us so that when they came out on the other end of volume three, they'd been profoundly changed by the experience and would never uh, really think or feel about anything the same way again. Exactly. Because that's part of the expansion of consciousness coming out on the other side, having been able to suspend the notion of linear time, having been able to uh, dimensionally leap uh, from in one scene to the next, uh, knowing that each one of these uh, incidents or episodes or occurrences uh, profoundly impacted the next uh, was a manifestation of the one prior, that the, everything is connected, that everything is one thing. And therefore, uh, our experience takes on even more relevance because it is empirical evidence of the existence of an afterlife. Um, and also, it is empirical evidence that when we are engaging with these spiritual entities that are from the past, they are likewise engaging with spiritual entities who are ghost-like from their future. Right. So that is to me the most important lesson of the trilogy. It's the most important thing and, and it comes to the reader incrementally. It's a notion that is supplanted and then nourished and nurtured and built upon and fertilized and allowed to grow in the mind of the reader so that they are truly significantly and profoundly altered by the experience of reading the books and they're not for everybody some people are like oh my god I thought I was going to get a, you know <laughs> I, I just wanted to be scared I didn't no. want all the rest of this stuff you know? no, <laughs> so I, I tell go, you like it, it <laughs> is the way you wrote it is absolutely amazing to me um, just I, I, I can't say enough about it honestly um, it, it literally is like you are right there um, the way you even uh, like that first winter that you guys spent in the house, uh, yeah. I mean, the way you were even describing that, I mean, it was—I I don't know—I can't even describe it. Other than you can hear the windows shaking, you can feel the breezes coming through the house. You know, um, you can see the uh, the frost on the windshield or the, on the windows as they're forming and things of that nature. Uh, it's all these little things that you wrote. It's the I don't know. The descriptions are fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Thank you. Uh, um, Thank you. It was very easy in, in terms of that, though, Josh. I'll tell you it was because <clears throat> those are memories that are part of me. I mean, absolutely. they're so deeply impaled in my consciousness and, and that of the rest of my family as well. I really thought when I put all of it together and there were a lot of uh, individual um, interview type discussions that I had with every member of my family and uh, delving as deeply as possible into their recollections of their personal experiences and then joint experiences. And I thought when I had all of my quote unquote research done, anything that I didn't remember personally or that someone cared to elaborate on, um, in terms of their own recollection of a, a personal encounter in the house, um, I thought, oh man, none of this is going to ever match up. Nobody's <laughs> ever going to remember it exactly the same way. And as I did my um, very careful um, 
cross-referencing and um, textual analysis to make sure that it was correct. Uh, I had to change one incident um, the season. I think I had put that it had occurred in the fall and it had actually occurred in the spring or vice versa. Um, That was the one change that I had to make in the manuscript. Everybody remembered everything exactly the same way. Wow. And hadn't discussed it for years. I mean, we rarely, as a family, when we got together, I mean, the farm did not come up. Sure. It was not a subject that we discussed. And with Christine, um, it is particularly important that that subject not come up yeah. uh, because it wasn't until I was writing the books, which took seven years of my life from start to finish. Right. Um, it wasn't until I was, you know, in the depths of the construction and the composition of this trilogy that I realized that Christine was the one who was most uh, traumatized and most uh, uh, affected, deeply, um, adversely affected by her experiences at the farmhouse and the one who had worked hardest to block them. Wow. So um, that's why if you go back and you reread that section in volume three, uh, Collective Memoirs, and you read the essays, Uh, that each member of my family contributed to the book Um, you'll see the opening or the I can't remember if it's the opening or the closing quotation uh, for Christine is uh, about never being able to escape monsters yeah Uh, no it's um, every single quotation every single word I'm responsible for every thing in those books yeah. uh, every mistake every everything it's me it's me opening a vein and my family sharing um, their deepest darkest secrets and doing so finally at an age of awareness and consciousness where none of us really cared anymore what anybody thought or said um, that it was more important to just tell the story and be done with it. It had been alluded to in so many different venues over the course of decades that it was finally time to put it all together uh, in a cohesive unit and share it with the world because I really did feel that the world was ready to receive it finally, that the world had, um, as we know it, uh, you know, those who are literate, those who are educated, had all likewise spiritually matured to an extent that they could uh, accept this. And of course, not everyone does. You know, I've gotten some uh, terrible things. I've gotten death threats. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Yeah. um, One that had to be... uh, uh, Police had to be involved. Yeah. It was... um, yeah, I'll, you know, teach you a lesson about respect for the church. I'll uh, teach you a lesson. You know, it's like, oh, wow. my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. What have I done? <laughs> uh, you know, it's uh, it's wow. it's hard to, uh, to put oneself out um, to endure this kind of scrutiny. Um, but I do have to say that the, the vast majority of people who have ever contacted me about the film or the books – um, have always um, been so gracious and so encouraging and I can't tell you how many letters I've received that 
folks have written to me and said something akin to, I had an experience when I was a kid and I never told anybody about it. And um, now that I've read your story, I tell everybody about it. And it's, you know, it changed my life. It changed the way I thought about everything. And I always kept it to myself because I was afraid. And if you're brave enough to tell your story, then I'm brave enough to tell mine. Absolutely. You know? I mean, and, and that, oh, that makes it all worthwhile because believe me when I tell you there was an enormous amount of sacrifice that went into writing this trilogy, an enormous amount of uh, <clears throat> a true leap of faith sure. uh, was taken in the telling of this trilogy and the making of a movie that I had no oversight in terms of the script. I had no control over it at all. So now at least it's not The Exorcist, um, <laughs> but it is. Um, and, you know, for the most part, I think does a very sensitive portrayal of the family, um, almost too sensitive in terms of my father's willingness as, as a character to right. be so amenable and, you know, so welcoming and, and you know, warmly welcoming <laughs> the <laughs> warrants into the house when nothing could have been further from the truth. Um, but, you know, the fact is that uh, the Warrens did, uh, you know, coming full circle back to, aren't you impressed that I could do that? Um, coming full circle back to the seance, um, that was a night where huge mistakes were made. Right. Um, and Mrs. Warren admitted to me that they were not prepared for what happened there. Um, and you know i and i have to say that i think that they were ill prepared for the case as a whole i don't think that anybody could have walked into that farmhouse and you know had a a, a cleansing effect on the place right uh it wasn't that kind of place no. um a portal cleverly disguised as a farmhouse it was uh, extremely active but the huge mistake that was made uh, was not made by Mrs. Warren. It was made by the medium that she brought with her. Um, and she threw open wide the doors to the netherworld and conjured the spirits and called them forth. And whatever it was that came through and attacked my mother and virtually inhabited her for a short amount of time. Right. If that's a possession, then that's a possession. But, you know, it looked more, more like an attack to me. Mm -hmm. um, and... Uh, just, you know, twisted and contorted her body and spoke through her in a language that does not exist on this planet. Wow. Uh, absolutely horrifying things that uh, we witnessed that night. Everyone that was present, including a priest. Um, you know, there were a lot of people in the house that night. And after whatever it was had its way with communicating whatever it had to say through her, uh, it levitated her chair with her in it and within a fraction of a second tossed her at least 20 feet from the center of the dining room to the center of the parlor wow. and everyone that was present in that house heard her skull hit that floor oh my now gosh. it was this was a life-threatening incident that Very occurred nice. um you know surely my mother had a, a serious uh concussion and yet, um, you know, everybody refused to go call for an ambulance. It was, you know, my father threw them out of the house. I was going to ask you about that. Like what in just the brief seconds after that attack happened, 
and you see this go on i mean are you are you frozen solid are you are you rushing after your mother what what was the 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 atmosphere like it was um <sighs> stunned silence yeah uh, we couldn't. My father was so angry. He had just punched Ed Warren in the face and taken the man to the floor. Wow. You know, so let's say dad was agitated. <laughs> um, That's safe to say. <laughs> and we were afraid. We were afraid in every way that you could be afraid. We were traumatized by what we had just seen. Uh, None of us that were watching it, that were present in that house knew whether or not they had just seen her die. Uh, there was no movement from her initially, none. Um, it was uh, when you hold your breath until you simply can't hold your breath any longer and then quietly as you possibly can try to breathe. And, and keep from passing out. My sister Cindy was literally crumbling in my arms. Mm-hmm. Um, it, was, it, was, it was the worst night of my life, Josh. I can imagine. Uh, it was, uh, I never ever, I will never participate in a seance. I will never participate in anything um, like that. No Ouija boards, no nothing. Because you know, I'm already a magnet. Uh, for this kind of thing, having been so exposed and overexposed in my youth. Um, and uh, the spirits do have a tendency to come around me in droves. I don't need to, uh, you know, to invite more. And that's not the best way to do it. Right. So not my opinion. So um, I'm at a whole different level, uh, a whole different place in terms of uh, how I think about uh, the spirit world, uh, how I interact with the spirit world. In some respects, I feel like I live there partially. Absolutely. Um, and and I'm perfectly comfortable with that. Absolutely <laughs> comfortable with that. I have experiences of all different kinds on a very regular basis. So it's um, oh, it's it's eleven. It's one eleven eleven. <laughs> I just looked at the clock. I I <laughs> always like see the number thing i am one of those that sees that number thing that happens jason Um, is one of those as well (laughs) yes i i am i'm an 11 11 experiencer yeah oh absolutely synchronicity baby (laughs) uh yeah there's a there's a lot going on in our world that i think that the, the healthiest thing that we as as the human race can do is to say we don't know anything exactly nothing stop i approach it You You can't explain any of it, so there's, um, there's, there is right and wrong, but you can't shoot somebody down for a theory. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, having experienced what I have in life, having learned firsthand that um, there is something. I don't know if it's extraterrestrial. I don't know if angels are, you know, if, if angels are real. I don't know. I don't use the word demon in, in conversation uh, regarding supernatural activity because I've never seen a demon. I don't know what a demon is. I don't know if demons exist. I don't know anything. Um, and I'll tell you what, there are no uh, experts in the paranormal because believe me when I tell you, if, if there was something to be known definitively, 
it would come from our family. Right. It's why I wrote the books the way that I did, the who, what, when, where, why, and how, and how many times over the course of your reading do you stumble across uh, you know, the phrase, we don't know, yeah. I don't know, <laughs> they don't know, we don't know. If there are no experts, we would be the ones, you know, if, if we don't know, nobody does. Exactly. Not the Warrens, not anybody. Um, it is, um, it's a mystery, uh, perhaps a mystery that is supposed to persist, perhaps um, chasing it and keeping our curiosity peaked is part of the spiritual process of growth and evolution. Uh, I don't know. But what I do know is that what we experienced was not a figment of our imaginations. It was not an optical illusion and it was not mass hysteria. No. It was just as real as this conversation we're having right now in cyberspace, right. talking on equipment yeah. that's in disparate locations, three different people yeah. in different places. And it's like we're in the same room because essentially we are in the same room. Uh, and spirit is the same way. The analogy that I use is the full moon. And the night of the full moon, it it casts its glow upon the earth. We all appreciate it. Oh, look how pretty. Um, but we don't doubt its existence on the night of the new moon when it's virtually invisible to the naked eye. Exactly. Ah, it's amazing. Amazing stuff. Now... For um for our listeners, um, I know that you and your your partner in crime, uh, George Lopez, ah. another, another great guy. Um, I know <laughs> that uh, you guys just came out with a book. Oh, oh my God! Yeah. When you read this book, I, I have I not got my hands on this yet, but I'm looking forward to it. It will blow your mind wide open. It's gonna <laughs> make a mess. I'm telling you in advance. Um, it's got nothing but five-star reviews. It's okay. only been out a few months. It's a baby just learning to crawl. <laughs> but um, in a flicker, I'm so proud of this book. Um, I spent 18 months of my life absolutely devoted to the cause of making sure that George's absolutely brilliant idea found its way into print. Wow. Um, he had this virtually supplanted in his mind about a quarter of a century ago. Um, and I had a, a little bit of a moment of crisis, after, well, not a little more than a little bit, of uh, a sense of uh, being lost after I finished the trilogy uh, and expressed it to George because I do talk to him about virtually everything. Sure. Um, and um, told him that I felt like I'd served my purpose, you know, that I'd done what I was supposed to do in life and what now, uh, and even had had some um, dreams and visions of my own demise. Like I, you know, <laughs> all done here, you know, yeah. and, I, and I didn't want that. I wanted to go forward. I wanted to start a new life or, you know, create a new life if, if that's what it took prior, you know, uh, post-trilogy. Um, and one night he called me and he was talking me down off the precipice again. And um, he said, I, I have a story to tell you. And I said, you know, bring it on. And I sat there for about two hours uh, listening to him tell me the story. 
And at the end of it, I wiped away the tears and I said, you have got to write this down. And he said, I'm not a writer. I said, but I am. Mm -hmm. And I'll do everything in my power to make sure that this becomes a novel. And we worked like maniacs for 18 months. Nobody writes a book like this in 18 months. Nobody does. I mean, I've never seen a book like this. I've never read a story like this. Even in the final proof as we went through the galley before we sent it to print, um, there were sections of it that I could not read aloud as we were, because that's how we would sit together across desks across from each other and take turns reading sections of the book aloud to make sure that it flowed lyrically, it flowed smoothly, everything was as it should be, we hadn't missed anything. And um, there were times, many times that I said, you have to take over, I can't read this, I can't, it's just, and it is a story that is is, um, extracted directly from the annals of history um, with fictional characters interwoven into the story. it is um, proof of the existence of genius in the world. Um, you know, don't get me wrong. George Lopez gets on my last raw nerve regularly. <laughs> okay? Not even occasionally. <laughs> regularly. That's good. Um, we butted heads. We fought yeah. over this manuscript to make it the very best that it could be. There were times when it was so hard so hard and I would try to soften the edges and nope nope I could work for two hours on a paragraph and he would just summarily dismiss it cut copy and cut it um (laughs) you know gone just that fast you know and so believe me when I tell you you know I'm a Libran um who is really sure of herself and he is a Capricorn who's sure he is the boss of the world (laughs) and so to say that we uh, sparred create creatively uh, is the understatement of the new millennium. But for it, what we came down with uh, at the end of every work session were many times eight hours uh, straight um, and then pick up another couple of hours in the middle of the night. Uh, it was uh, a true labor of love. It's a story that deserves to be told. I tell people, please, if you read only one book this year, just one, make it in a flicker because it is a mind-expanding odyssey. You better strap yourself in just when you think you've got everything figured out. You are so wrong. (laughs) Uh, It is... uh, it is so complicated and so convoluted and yet flows with such ease and elegance and grace that the words literally impale your eyes and plant themselves in your mind. I can't tell you how many people have finished the book and flipped it over and began reading it all over again. Oh, that's awesome. We hear it constantly. And this thing's a baby. Yeah. You know, yeah. certainly still in diapers. Um, uh, it It is, I encourage anybody who is brave enough, and it deserves, you know, the caveat, the fair warning. Um, it is not for the faint of heart. Uh, it is R, if not X-rated. Um, it uh, has um, 
there are elements of it my readers of the trilogy who know me as you know soft and sensitive annie are like no way did you write this book with george no way that's awesome you know i'm they just they can't believe it it took me into an entirely different genre uh, even though there is a little bit of an evil supernatural twist to the story, um, it is predominantly uh, historical in nature. Um, and it is about something that I, if I tell you anything, I've told you too much. Uh, and I want to thank everybody for the reviews that we have gotten because they've been so careful not to give away the big secret oh, of nice. this story. Um, I haven't seen it once, and I've seen a number of online reviews. I've seen the Amazon reviews. I've seen the ones that are on our own website, which is inaflickernovel.com, all lowercase. Um, please visit it. George did a beautiful job constructing that website. He, he truly did. He devoted himself to it and made it splendid. Wow. Um, he's so smart. He's, he blows me away. He's a good, he's a good like, dude, I, that's for sure. Oh, he's so smart. It's just scary how smart he is. It really is. Um, but anyway, yes, I do. Uh, thank you for bringing that up. You know, I did want to slip that in and, and yeah. give it uh, give it some talk because uh, it it is, um, you know, I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, I'm working on the screenplay for the film House of Darkness, House of Light. No way. Yeah, uh, it's going to be actually three movies uh, and a documentary, oh um, which gosh. will come out just prior to the first film. And I'm working with a wonderful screenwriter who is a uh, has become a close, dear friend in a short amount of time. Um, and yet I feel like I've known her forever. Awesome. Um, and uh, to say that there is going to be real film treatment of the real true story um, is something that I'm thrilled to tell you and I you know I can't give you a timeline on that I haven't signed anything yet sure. uh, this is all in development this is all in the works um, you know there will be bids there you know this is all happening right now I just um, got really excited yeah but <laughs> the interest around in a flicker in Hollywood is equal really um, yes and <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, I'm so thrilled I'm thrilled for George that his dream got to come true, that something that he had carried in within himself. I mean, he's just a creative genius. And, um, and I told him, I don't care what the raw manuscript looks like. I don't care. Um, it will, it will have a new incarnation when I'm done with it. I added about 150 pages of text, a lot of description, which I'm good at. Nice. Um, and, uh, it's set predominantly in England. Um, uh, it is a, a wonderful, wonderful story that will take your mind and twist it like a pretzel. Uh, I cannot and, wait for this. Yeah, but, <laughs> and that's all that I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> now, what about you specifically? Where can people, um, where can our listeners find you, find your, uh, find your books and things of that nature? Well, all of my books are available at um, my publisher directly where you get the the least expensive price and the fastest delivery. Nice. And that's authorhouse.com. Uh, all lowercase, one word, authorhouse.com. 
or you can get them from Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million. Uh, you name the bookseller, they have access to the book. Awesome. Uh, and it doesn't matter if it's volume one, two, or three of House of Darkness, House of Light, or if it's in a flicker. Um, all of them are available in all of those places. Uh, my publisher was so excited about Flickr that um, they got it from submission to market in 10 days. That Whoa. is virtually unheard of in the paranormal community or any other community, certainly in the publishing community. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it just doesn't happen. Um, they moved heaven and earth to get this book out so that George and I could premiere it. Um, and we, we got to go to New Orleans for the Undead Con, uh, the Anne Rice's Vampire Lestat uh, uh, events, as it were. I got to um, meet with her oh, wow. uh, at length at the church that she grew up in at St. Alfonso's. It, oh, my God, it was magical. <laughs> I am a huge Magical to hold the woman's hands. Yes. Look into her eyes. Wow. And, ah. Uh, we talked for, I don't know how many minutes, five to ten minutes. I don't know. I lost track of time. I was completely <laughs> mesmerized. I was. I mean, it takes a lot to get me starstruck. Sure. You know, but... Um, but it's Anne Rice. I mean, my I God. Know, <laughs> and, you know, that she even knew who I was. was you wow. Know, like, wow. And actually, um, it was uh, by her invitation. You know, I was so thrilled to be there. And... Um, I held her hands and she never let go of mine. And when we were done talking, she said, Andrea, I wish you every blessing. And I smiled very broadly and I said, that's my line. I write that in almost every book I inscribe. <laughs> and she looked at me with those big, beautiful eyes and she said, but it was my line first. Oh. <laughs> How sweet is that? Oh my gosh. I love it. I love it. Oh, my God. Am I having a fabulous life? Yeah, absolutely. And see, and that kind of goes back to uh, what you were saying before, how you kind of sank into this uh, this funk, this depression after, yeah. you know, the trilogy was out and you're like, oh, God, now what? Well, mm -hmm. it, it sounds to me like you're just now scratching the surface, my dear. Yeah. Like you are really about to hit full steam here. Well, yeah. And you know what's happened to me in the last few years? Um, I had inadvertently come out of the closet as an ET experiencer. Really? And it was captured on uh, in an interview that was then processed into uh, a documentary that the producer asked me if she could release with that portion in it, even though I had told her I would tell her my experiences, but she <laughs> couldn't include the footage in the in the documentary well she did anyway because she found it so very compelling and um, then asked my permission to leave it in and it was that singular decision to say yes to her uh, that that DVD ended up going out um, with Warner Brothers DVD of The Conjuring um, as the real story behind you know the story and I don't know how many people actually saw it but to say i was out as an et experiencer was <laughs> oh there's no going back there's no denying that you know Absolutely. couldn't pull a norma sutcliffe and say oh go away no go here <laughs> nope uh -uh. <laughs> no backpedaling <laughs> no no backing down from that wow 
And so I began lecturing about it, uh, talking about it in, uh, you know, I don't care if I've, I've got a group of 20 or 200 or 2,000 people that I'm talking to at one time. I don't care. Sure. I talk openly and honestly about all of my experiences. I believe that there's a point of correlation and integration between extraterrestrial or uh, on-planet um, uh, visitors and, um, and spiritual activity. I, and I think that they probably know a whole lot more about it than we do. Absolutely. Uh, so, uh, you know, there was a time, and I'm ashamed to say, that I wanted to um, to remain quiet about uh, anything exopolitical, anything having to do with uh, an extra extraterrestrial engagement or presence um, that I know about, not that I believe in, but that I I know about. Sure. So I didn't. I thought that I would be taken more seriously if I just wrote about ghosts. Right. Um, how naive. Uh, I understand. That? <laughs> um, you know, my name now is routinely dropped with the likes of Paul Hellier and Paula Harris and Edgar Mitchell. Absolutely. Uh, online now because people know that I am a reliable source for information that I'd rather swallow my own tongue than lie to anybody uh, and that what I'm telling them is the truth if people are afraid of the truth there is nothing that I can do about that but my whole reason for being is to help dispel fear to take that element of it away you know to for people to start to think in terms of fear being a tool that they use rather than something that is uh, has power like a power tool over them right. we, you know wielding its existence uh, in lieu of them experiencing their own because they're afraid to do anything and consequently live half lives because of the element of fear and that fear factor that exists in their lives fear at its um, at its base uh, level of existence um, serves a purpose and that is to keep us from doing something so stupid that it risks our lives right. um, it is there to warn us to forewarn us it can manifest as conscience it can manifest as intuition it can manifest in myriad ways um, and it is there primarily to keep us safe from ourselves and our own stupid decisions um, so that we can mature to adulthood. You know, because most children are born knowing that they're immortal, still feeling some attachment to spirit exactly. um, and have to be taught that they live in a three-dimensional, five-sensory realm. But they... Uh, come into the world thinking that they are virtually indestructible because actually they are virtually indestructible because energy cannot be created nor destroyed. Exactly. That's amazing so then stuff. their parents, um, through no fault of their own really, until you know they reach the point of enlightenment, um, will do everything that they can to uh, dissuade the child from, you know, inadvertently committing suicide through stupid acts. Right. Uh, and uh, you know that's one of my favorite lines in the book, kids are dumb as dirt, and that's an insult <laughs> to dirt. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. uh, I mean, the, the chances, the risks that kids take, um, 
because they can't even conceptualize death or how valuable their life is until they reach an age of consciousness, exactly. uh, the age of reason, which is generally between 10 and 12 years old, where they become truly self-aware. Um, and so, you know, it's really a psychological dilemma as much as anything else. But how many kids, Josh, have come out of their rooms and said to a parent, Grandma read me a bedtime story last night. Right. And the parent says, no, honey, your grandma died before you were born. You were just dreaming. Right. Uh, that's conditioning. Chances are really good if you've raised your child to be honest. That child is telling you the truth. Exactly. And grandma visited and read her a bedtime story. And see, that's just it. It's like, you know, as parents, I mean, even myself, I had a, I had a discussion with my daughter just uh, a day ago about this exact same thing. I mean, she knows what I do. She's not stupid. Uh, you know, um, and she just flat out asks me, um, Dad, are ghosts real? And, you know, I'm not going to lie to my child. I can't do that. No. Nope. And I said fairly bluntly, <laughs> like, yes, dear, they are. And her eyes got all wide like she was absolutely terrified. I'm like, now stop right there. You know what I mean? I'm like, there is absolutely, number one, nothing to be afraid of. I'm like, because it's like you, what you were saying earlier. You know, energy can neither be created nor destroyed. It's, we're either, it's, it's like water. We're in one form or another. Gas, solid, you know, it doesn't matter. Or, or liquid, it, it doesn't matter. It, it's still there. There's still people, you know. Um, and that's what I was trying to instill in her, um, I don't know if she's quite grasped it yet, but we're getting there. But she will. She will. And you did the right thing. And if she has any experiences, she will be free to yes. discuss them with you, her father who trusts and believes her. Exactly. Um, that was not what we faced with our father. He was fearful. And so, therefore, he did not trust what we were telling him. And therefore, we stopped telling him what we were experiencing. And it created a chasm that it, uh, just a, a rift, a breach in our family between um, his, you know, my father and his children, uh, my father and his wife. Um, he became persona non grata in many ways. Um, he did not believe uh, until he had no choice but to believe. Um, and then it was too late. Then there was a, you know, an emotional breakdown had occurred. Right. where we, we didn't go to him for anything, and he was the only man of the house. Yeah. <laughs> he was supposed to be there to protect us, and um, and we couldn't tell him yeah. what was happening. And then it all, all hell broke loose, and, you know, there was no denying it, but it really was too late. There was a, a breakdown um, in communication, as it were, sure. uh, that took years to heal, and in some cases never did. And I guess that's, you know, similar to me or whatever. I had experiences as well, um, more or less in adolescence. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, I didn't really come out of this whole paranormal closet, so to speak, until I was really in college. And I found, I, you know, I found like-minded people who had similar interests. Um, and that's when we really started to, you know, really dive into this stuff. Um, but, yeah, I was just... You know, I, for the most part, just kept it to myself. Um, now, obviously, nothing that traumatic, you know, happened, you know, to mm -hmm. me in my situation. But, yeah, it's it's crazy, crazy stuff. So, especially when you, you know, you when you feel you can't open up to uh, to a parent, 
you know. Yeah. So. It it was a, a hard way to grow up. You know, there's nothing easy about enlightenment. There's nothing. It's a difficult process. It's it's a process where your mind is forced to expand. It's not comfortable. Right. Uh, it it exists beyond the parameters of your own innate understanding of life and death. Um, it is uh, a process that actually, I think, takes a lifetime uh, that we're all evolving. You know, I tell people all the time, please don't put me, you know, on a pedestal. I am not at the pinnacle of anything. You know, I'm saying nothing that's different than, you know, how many thousands of people have said, um, maybe you're just hearing it for the first time. You're, you're, it's, it's having an impact on you in a way that it hasn't before. It doesn't mean you haven't heard it. It just means that you didn't listen. Right. Um, you know, and I tell folks all the time, you know, I'm not a guru. I'm not a sage. I'm, you know, I'm a, in, in some respects, I'm a seer in that I do see multidimensionally and extra dimensionally. I do. There's no denying that. Right. Uh, and I don't think that everybody does, although I do hope that everybody can. Um, but uh, I'm really just a humble messenger. Uh, and I think that I was destined to write this book. I think that uh, from my early childhood, um, this story, this series of books, um, this was my job. Yeah. And it took me a long time. I was 48 years old when I started. So uh, it took me a long time to process what had I had experienced at that house. And one of my oldest friends who I met while I was in college, and of course I still lived at the farm while I was going to college in Pittsburgh, mm -hmm. um, I didn't tell her anything about this oh, wow. and how I grew up until... 2007 and I met her in 1976 wow uh, I paid dearly for the oversight and the transgression and lack of faith and trust yeah. in her that she would believe my ghost story um, it was um, I wrote about it in my essay in volume 3 uh, my friend Susie Fiore who I adore yeah. um, she was hurt that I had experienced something like this and chose to keep it from her all these decades uh, of our friendship. And um, so I let her have it. I kept her on the phone for about three hours and I told her everything I could remember. Wow. <laughs> I left wow. her breathless, <laughs> breathless. <laughs> I did all the talking and she's the one that couldn't breathe. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was uh, that was quite an afternoon. I remember it at the lake in in Harmony, Rhode Island, like it was yesterday. Oh. Uh, you know, this is a story that, uh, as my mom said, uh, a story that uh, should not be rightfully taken to the grave. Right. That this is a story that should be shared, um, so that people can think about their existence in different ways and the ramifications of the decisions that they make in life while they're in this vessel body, um, but that will eventually be abandoned um, as they transcend uh, or ascend to a higher or a different level of vibration or energy, that death is not the end, but in many ways is merely a new beginning. Exactly. And hopefully more people get, you know, I don't know, mo mo I guess hopefully more people understand that 
more and more as time goes on. And it does mm-hmm. seem like, you know, as a just as a populace in general, we are we're beginning to open our minds a little more. We're beginning to accept this, at least the possibility. You know, we're at least opening our minds up that much to at least mm-hmm. acknowledge the possibility. I mean, the, I I've said this many times. You know, the paranormal has become this this topic that we can now kind of discuss around the water cooler at work. Yeah, it's become normal because exactly. it was normal all along because it exists. It's normal. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, the the thing is is it used to be and it still is today somewhat people like to make fun of it, people like to scoff at it, but they're still interested in the yeah. topics. <laughs> I get that all the time. People actually will ask me, you know, oh, I think, or they'll tell me, I think this ghost stuff is complete BS. But you know, this one time, you know, <laughs> and they'll go off on this story. Um, it's absolutely hilarious to me because if they haven't had an experience, they know somebody that has. Yes. I mean, it has expanded that much, and now people are opening up more and more and sharing these experiences. So, yes. I don't know. It I- might make for a, a richer. <laughs> A community of people for the future generations, hopefully. Well, I hope that people are more open to it um, uh, over time because, you know, it's it's what should, I guess, be considered pseudoscience, but all accepted science began yes. as pseudoscience. Exactly. Um, and, you know, whatever element of truth exists behind all of this, uh, whatever uh, amount of evidence we are able to compile as a community. Um, I think that ultimately it will um, create a, a new vision for humanity that we'll start to think of ourselves uh, worldwide as um, broader than we are, as more significant than we are, that it will uh, expand human consciousness in such a way that, you know, once the mind expands, it can't contract. You can't go back to unthinking something right. once you've considered the concept and assimilated it. Um, so I think that ultimately we are in a new age of enlightenment, uh, that we have entered the age of Aquarius, as it were, right. that we have um, uh, come to a, a new place in mind. Uh, and, and here's a case in point. Uh, a few months ago, you know, this lunatic dentist murdered a protected lion. Right, and right. the whole world Freak. was up in arms. And, you know, social media went nuts on the story. And everybody in the world within 24 hours knew who Cecil the lion was. Yes. That wouldn't have happened 30 years ago. Not only was there no internet, there was no global communication between people, but not that many people would have cared about sure. it. Okay, so we killed a lion on the Serengeti plane. Yeah, whatever. You know, it, it, there has been a change in our consciousness as human beings. We have evolved spiritually. We have um, started to come to terms with our own existence, not as a solitary uh, entity on this planet tucked in the back corner of a far galaxy, but as an integral part of the universe and that we're not alone exactly. uh, and that there are other dimensions and other elements of existence and alternate realities 
that we are just now beginning to be able to perceive because there are members of society worldwide whose vibration is such that they can interpret this information, this influx of, uh, you know, the, the stimulation from other realms and pick up on it. You know, I'm not the only one who see, sees ghosts on right. this planet. There are millions of people on this planet that have had uh, supernatural encounters, paranormal experiences, call it what you will, hauntings. I don't care yeah. what the semantics are. Um, coming in contact with something from another realm, another dimension um, that is ethereal in nature. Uh, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty exciting. Um, and um, I love it, but I will admit that I'm most fascinated with extraterrestrial engagement. That's where my true love is. That's where my heart is. Uh, and that's where my research is. I think Jason would agree with you on that. Uh, we talk it's the only important thing. It's everything. It means everything. There's nothing more important to humanity than this. Nothing. Right. And I know we do We do talk a lot about uh, aliens. We do a news segment as well, and a lot of the uh, UFOs, sightings, and things of that nature. I mean, everything is on the rise. And now with our, our space program, even, we are able to reach farther than we had ever even began to dream before. Um, yeah. It is exciting times as far as space exploration goes and things of that nature. I mean, it is very exciting times to be experiencing this, to be living at this time. Um, well, we're supposed to be here right now. The job that you do and Jason does in terms of getting these notions, these concepts, these ideas out into the world, thoughts are things. We are literally raising the vibration of the planet right. by doing what we do by putting these notions out there for people to consider. Um, and the more we think, the more we generate, the more positive our thought process, the more creative the outcome. Um, it is, um, it's the nature of the universe. And so as long as we're doing our good work, we there are many, many spiritualists that will say to you, to Jason, to myself, to anybody, um, that is, you know, working in this realm uh, that we were we're here specifically with purpose and reason to do our good work on this planet, to lift the planet up as a whole, to touch as many lives, as many minds, as many hearts as we possibly can with the information that we impart. Right. I think it's very important. And I also, I mean, you touched on it earlier too. You said, uh, you said that magic word, you said community. Um, and I do believe that it's very, very important that as we do this, we do, we do so together and not, you know, as separated, you know, teams or, or whatever. I think it's very important that we move forward together as a, as a paranormal community, as a whatever type of community you want to call it. You know, I think it's very, very important for the cause. So, yeah, we should all be in, in this together. You know, we're all all of humanity is in the same boat. Exactly. We're all trying to you know understand our existence. And there's, you know, that eternal struggle of good versus evil or, you know, however you want to call it. Uh, I think it's really more um, fear than evil. But uh you know, we have a lot to overcome. I'm, we, If we're going to save our planet and save ourselves and 
the trajectory we are, we're on right now is, is a very dangerous one. Um, if we're going to overcome uh, our worst proclivities and learn to uh, live in peace on this planet and in abundance and you know true pot prosperity uh, spiritually and in every other way, which is uh, attainable, no question in my mind, but it will require us to think differently about ourselves and our planet and um, and what has an impact on us you know where do we come from where are we going think big right. you know the the whole big bang theory is a theory string theory is a theory quark theorem is a theory um, you know quantum mechanics quantum physics uh, what Tesla brought to the world, what Einstein brought to the world, these great geniuses that have, you know, tried to teach us, to educate us. You know, look what we did to the great prophet that came to the world. <laughs> right, right. Uh, didn't he pay for having a few new ideas to impart? <laughs> yes. Um, it's, um, you know, he among so many others. Uh, but if we are to practice Christ consciousness, on this planet then we have to come to an understanding that we are all essentially spiritual beings that we are not really um, born or die but that we um, incarnate um, that you know we shapeshift as it were sure. um, as soul and move in and out of um, bodies or realms or dimensions as the case may be um, we're a lot bigger than we think we are. Yeah. Um, and when you can talk to water, when you can actually, it's a scientific fact, proof, that water responds to us, yes. to our thought process, to our verbally. I was just talking about this last night on, on World Awakening with Chip Reichenthal. Um, you can literally change the molecular uh, responsiveness and actual makeup of water by being mean to it yes. or being supportive and kind to it. Uh, what's that tell you? We're the only life form? Really? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think it would be uh, pretty small-minded to uh, to believe that. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? So, but I got to tell you, I'm going to uh, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to wrap up the show. But Andrea, I want to thank you so much. Number one. Uh, you've been more than generous with your time. And number two, we're going to have to get you back on this show very, very soon. Oh, it would be my pleasure to join you. Absolutely. I mean, we really could. We barely touched the stories. Oh, yeah. And yeah, that's, that's what I was going to say. I know I've been kind of quiet, which isn't really like me. But um, <laughs> I've just been trying to take it all in, honestly, since I came in a little late and I I don't honestly really know the whole backstory to your story. I feel like I'm a little lost, which isn't like me either. Um, I need to get, I'm a little bit of a bibliophile and I need to get my hands on your books as soon as I can. And I feel like we could probably do 10 episodes. Alone oh, we could talk you. for days. <laughs> we could just talk for days. Absolutely. Uh, I will join you anytime. It's absolutely my pleasure, and thank you. And I want to thank your listeners 
uh, for you know their attention as well. I appreciate it. Um, and people can reach me. I am um, Public Information 101. Uh, <laughs> I have five pages on um, Facebook, uh, including my personal page. I think I've got 13 or 14,000 people on yeah. that one. Yeah. Uh, it's it's great. You know, oh my God, I love interacting with my readers. I love it. Um, but they can find me on my fan page called the Buttercup Brigade. They can find me at uh, on our fan page for In a Flicker. Uh, at House of Darkness, House of Light, uh, and that's uh, also at my website, uh, House of Darkness, House of Light dot com, uh, which needs a real bad update. Please don't judge me harshly. I've, <laughs> I've been very busy, um, and uh, you know, there's just I'm everywhere. Just Google me. I guess that's the best way to Absolutely. put it. Absolutely. Um, and it was a pleasure to join both of you, gentlemen. And I will be back anytime you desire. And we will just continue this conversation. That sounds so great. Thank you so much, Andrea. Oh, you're very welcome. Have a lovely evening, both. Uh, you too. Bye bye. Thank you. Okay. Bye. That was amazing. I, I was sitting here. I'm speechless right now. Can you still hear me? Yeah, I okay. can. Okay. Uh, just give me a second. I'll be right back. I just want to grab another beer. I'm like, you've probably got to go potty. I probably do too. Don't lie to the people. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh I'm leaving that part in the episode too of him like going to the bathroom I don't even care but I gotta tell you guys this uh, I, I want to know I want to know your thoughts on this I want to know uh, what you guys think of Andrea and I gotta tell you if you have not read these books <laughs> I can't stress it enough like how amazing these books really are um I, the amount of detail is astounding and that's putting it absolutely mildly she said it best when you just you just have to sit back relax and take every little bit of it in you take it in and uh, amazing things happen like you read this and will you get scared you're going to get the shit scared out of you I'm not going to lie um, but there's like this underlying hope that's right there. It's just, it's so close to the surface at all times and it's right within, within reach. It's so amazing how she told this gigantic story. And like Jason said, you know, I mean, he kind of came in later, whatever, but, uh, you know, it was, uh, definitely an amazing thing, an amazing thing. But like, you know, Jason was saying he came in late and he kind of missed the, uh, he kind of missed the beginning part of it. Um, but yeah, it was good stuff. So are you just sitting there talking to yourself? No, I was telling everybody that you were going taking a potty. Oh, and you're I, still recording. Oh, absolutely. And I said that, <laughs> and I was saying that that me telling you you had to pee, and you're like, yeah, I probably got to do that. I'm like, I'm fucking I, uh, leaving that in the episode. I don't even care. I'm leaving I, it in. I, I actually <laughs> peed on the side of my house outdoors. <laughs> Dude, I do that all the time because my studio room has uh, a separate door. I have to go outside to go back inside. It's a right. separated room, so, so you might I didn't as well even piss feel like outside. going all the way back in. Yeah, you might as well just piss outside. It's fun. yeah, that's amazing. Now, yeah, like, so I, was, I, like I was saying get, though, like, you uh, you uh, you missed the beginning part of it when we were talking about how they acquired the house, um, the steps leading up, you know, to them moving into the house, and the synchronicity there. Um, yeah, I guess you're just going to have to catch it on Friday morning. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, really I honestly good. felt like 
I was behind and they were talking she, she was talking in so much detail about certain specific things yes. that I didn't know the story leading up to it. Right, right, right. Now I got to tell you man, yeah, um and that's what I I was actually just telling the listeners to. I'm like the story itself is it's so well done and it's just it's well worth your time. Yeah, it's 1500 pages. I mean, it's a monster, but it is amazing. And that's putting f- it lightly. I do feel like mo- a lot of her views on the paranormal I share with her. In, yes. In the sense that there's no experts. We can't right. explain anything. We can't put anything out there saying this is proof of something. Now, um, I agreed with her on all of that stuff. Yeah, and I got to say, man, like her announcing to us... Um, her announcing to us that they were doing like a, a a screenplay for House of Darkness, House of Light, and in a flicker. I mean, this was all news to me. I don't well, know I how was many people how she is. Much of oh what she talked about on here was new stuff or not. Well, a lot of the things that she was saying I had never heard before. You know what I'm saying? Like the uh, like those announcements and things. Like that was all news to me. I had no clue about that. So that was really, really cool. So really good stuff. She was an amazing guest, and she will be back for damn sure. Because it, it seems like we have so much more to talk about, especially now that she opened up the uh, the extraterrestrial can of worms there. Yeah. Like, we have a whole, a whole slew of shit that we could talk about now. So good sauce. But once again, we want to thank Andrea Perrin for, uh, for being our guest with us tonight and we are right at the uh right at the two hour mark here brother so i what do you think of that throw a few things out here real quick for you in the show 100th episode guest um we really only have an entrance from two ladies out in california alps paranormal so unless everybody else just doesn't want to be on our show (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, you still have time. We're only, this is number 79. 79, I believe, yeah. So, yeah, you still have 20 more episodes to get your video or call or email or however you want to contact us to be on our show, to be possibly picked to be on our show. Maybe we'll have more than one person on. Yeah, we could easily do that. I think we could uh, easily probably turn the 100th episode into a two-hour show as well. Yeah, and I'm giving away a full-spectrum camera Yes, during the episode. Well, I'll be giving out an email address, a single-use email address right. during the middle of that show that people need to email to be entered into the drawing to win one of my full-spectrum cameras. And those are definitely worth the... Uh, definitely worth it. So... Yeah, I mean, you don't have to pay for anything. You just have to listen right. for the right. email address and email me. Yeah, man. Ectoplasm's already free. It's already free, baby. I felt a little hectic, and I still haven't gotten to iTunes before this episode, but I will have it for the reviews oh, or the yeah, yeah, rates yeah. for this weekend. Or when we record when this we weekend record, for news. Yeah, the news segment. We're still going to be doing premium content. We have actually decided what we were going to do on yes. our first premium show, and I'm starting to talk to some people about interviews for it. Oh, cool. Also, call us at 913 730 
and leave us a sexy voicemail. The next topic show, I actually yeah. have a surprise. I have a double surprise. I have two surprises. You have two surprises. You, okay, here's the deal. God damn you! Because on the remember, next episode, the next topic episode, which uh, will be next Friday. Yeah, which yeah. Okay, let me just say this right now. I'm like a fuck. I'm a child. Okay, that's what I am. I'm a child. You say the word surprise, and I get all fucking giddy, and that's all I'm going to be able to think about now. Mm. For, we're talking a week here, man. And I, ha- I have two actually. One. Balls. Well, no, I won't even. I won't even hint it at. You should hint. You should at least. No. God damn it. You will have to listen, and Josh, you will have to be there. Well, I yeah, I have no choice. I'm, I'm right here. <laughs> but god damn it. <laughs> so. Oh, and by the way, uh, we will be speaking about dreams and all yeah. kinds of different kinds of weird dreams and out there paranormal things about dreams next week. I'm very excited about the dream episode. Very excited about that. So, it should be fun. should yes. be a lot of fun. You get to hear my demonic... Well, I say demonic. <laughs> uh, if if I ever had a demonic experience, it was partially in a dream. And yeah. you'll get to hear about that story next week. I can't wait for, to talk about this. Because I, I will... Uh, I'm going to share a dream. And I've already made this decision. I'm going to share a dream as well that still to this day happens to me. And it happened way back when I was like 10. But I still get this dream. And it freaks me the F out. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about all sorts of fun stuff. So once again, thank you to uh, Andrea Perrin and uh, Jason. Thank you very much uh, for joining in on this conversation as well. It is always a pleasure, sir. All right. Well, I will uh, wrap the show and talk to you crazy cats very, very soon. Peace out.